Welcome to episode 41 of Pennies in the Well. Wow, we made it. We have finally made it. And look, two episodes shortly close together. Of course, the last one was really me getting off my ass and trying to get the word out there about this crazy thing that I'm doing called Terra Arcanum, uh, which is basically a school of practical magic. This moment right now, up until March 15, 2017, you can still go online there at terraarcanum.org and register into uh, the free Kabbalah course. It's a free practical Kabbalah course. And I hope you take advantage. This is me getting going on something crazy and special, and I needed something to get me off my ass. And I use commitment to other people to make that happen for me. So it's your opportunity to take advantage of my taking advantage of, wait, you? Or are you taking advantage of me? It doesn't really matter. It's mutual advantageousness of you get to be kind of first in getting that course for free and I get to actually get off my ass and be encouraged to do things. And so that was my last quick little episode, me getting off my ass and actually doing something really fast. And sometimes really that's what we need to do. I'm in a a course right now and it's talking about doing massive imperfect action. And sometimes that's just what we need to do is just do it. Do the fucking thing and let let it be imperfect. Let it be what it's going to be and then take the gladness and the happiness and the, oh my God, I fucking did it-ness and enjoy that. Enjoying that you actually did the thing that you wanted to do. A lot of times, too often times, we spend so much time planning and thinking and plotting that we never get to doing So if you have the opportunity and there's something that you want to do, I recommend just doing it, which makes me feel a little bit like a Nike ad, but we can all get past that. And oddly, this leads into the first thing I guess I want to talk about today. There's a a couple of things I want to share with you, but the first thing that I need to say, and it is a, a need, I think, to say it. Well, given that it's the beginning or near the end, I should say, of January 2017, As you know, uh, as pretty much the whole world knows, that means that Donald Trump is now president of the United States. He's in. He's, He's in there. It's day five. The list of things that he has done, the gag orders he's put out, the pipeline uh, that he's pushing through, the abolition, abolishment, I can't even think of the right word, but the tearing down, if you will, of women's rights and veterans' rights and LGBTQ rights and I'm sure um, black people's rights. I'm sure it's all in there because I know that the first ones were and then I had to stop reading. And there, there's so much to be said on this topic 
and I'm mostly not going to say it, not here, not now. I may say more about it later, except for two things. One, massive imperfect action. If you feel the, ne- the need, the drive, the potentiality that you should do something, do something. Big, small, it, it doesn't matter. Do, act. Act so that when it comes down the road and you have to look back at this time in your life, you can look back and go, I, d- I did this thing. I tried this thing. Because I'm assuming if you're listening to me, you are not a Trump supporter. And if you are and you're going to have a freak out about this, just know that uh, I can love you as a human being, but I cannot love you as a person who's supporting uh, the cruelty and the harm that this man is doing, not just to his own people, but potentially worldwide. I have hope for humanity and I have hope for this planet. And a lot of that hope is in people individually evolving and in the amazingness of the people, the young people, younger people who are growing up and changing the world with their insight and their wonder. So I have hope and he threatens that hope in the worst way because he is actively working on paths that will destroy us and destroy the planet. And I cannot support that. And so I take what actions where I can that little, big, it doesn't matter if I think I can do it and I think it will help, then I do it. And I invite you to do that as well. The second thing I want to say about it is that for essentially everyone who suffers from this, I see you. I want you to know that you are seen and that you're loved and you're not forgotten or cast away. And what you're going through is not minimal. It, it is not trivial. It is, it is absolutely life and death. And you are seen and you are important and you are loved. And I see you. I see you if you are queer if you are lesbian or gay, I see you if you're trans or if you're, if you're cis, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you are. I see you. I see my black friends and loved ones and strangers and my Asian best friend and everyone else. And I see my brown people and I see the white people and I see the white allies and I love you for doing what we can to, because I'm white too, to support those who are suffering in ways that we can only begin to understand. I see my fellow minority religion people and the other religions that suffer the Muslims who have been so tortured through all of this, I see you and I love you. And I see the Christian allies and I'm thankful for you. And I hope that you continue to release your privilege as it were, so that we all come to a place of true equality and fairness. I see you. I, I see the women and I, I see, I see you. I see all the people who love and suffer and fear and the ones who are, I can't even, I can't even, I just want you to know that you are important and you're important to me, you're important to the world 
And if I can do nothing else but give you another voice that says you are loved and necessary and you matter, then I hope that you can hear it and know that it's true because it is true. I'm going to take a little break and then I'm going to come back and tell you what the rest of the episode's about and start into it. I say, Loon seemed like the perfect way to transition from one segment to another today. Now, what I want to share with you here and now in this moment, in other words, right after this loony break, is a silly little, hopefully enjoyable something for you. It's an Imbolg story. It's an Imbolg, I guess you could say children's story, but some of us, of course, never really having grown up out of the children's stage. Uh, For some of us, it's just a story. And it's about Siwamo, a little Asian demon who lives in a wonderful, magical place called Sneaky Hollow. This is the story of Imbolg, and currently working title is Waking Up Bodhi. I hope you enjoy. Siwamo shot up straight out of bed. Hooroo! Hooray! It's Imbolg Day! The flames on their head were already up. The flames must have been up for a while because all of the candles were already lit and there was a nice little fire going in the fireplace across from the foot of the bed. Siwamo bounded and bounced out of the golds and yellows of their bedroom to see. Sure enough, the little flames had already started the living room fire too. Ah, they grinned from ear to ear. Imbolg was one of their absolute most favorite days. There was so much to do. First things first though. They made a lovely cup of tea, being very careful to stay as calm as possible. Tea is always so excitable, and if they weren't careful, the tea would cause all kinds of storms and sparks and showers, not what was needed today. Siwamo made sure all the flames on their head also stayed quiet and behaved. No easy thing, I assure you. While the tea brewed, they hummed under the breath. Lolly hoo, lolly hey, rise up, rise up today. Winter's done, it's sleeping. Wake up, wake up and play. The flames started squeaking in harmony, and one big flame near the back of their head was bursting out on every play with a big, deep bass sound, like a log booming instead of popping in a fire. So naturally, the tea started to bubble along, most of the bubbles, bursting with little beeps on the beats. Siwamo sighed in defeat and then giggled. Really, what else could happen on Imbolg Day but such cheery fun? Now, normally, Siwamo would sit with their tea at the little nook inside the kitchen window and see what was going on outside. And they did do that today, but for only eight sips of tea. The flames were counting, you see. It was still chilly and snowy outside where the open spaces were around the house and between the far apart trees, but between the close together trees, that ground was brown, the snow all melted, and here and there, where the ground was clear, the snow was thin, there were little green shoots popping up. The snowdrops are coming out! The little white flower heads smiling down at the ground and the snow they were growing out of were a very good sign. Hooray! Hooray! It's Imbolg Day! 
Never did they clean the house so fast as on Imbolg Day. Siwama wiped down all the shelves and pictures, made sure everything was put away, gathered all of the things that they didn't need anymore to share with the other denizens of Sneaky Hollow. One never knew who could use a new-to-them gold pot or a five-sided box and put those things by the front door for later. And then they swept the house lickety-split and splitly lick and once all the dust and dirt was in the pan, their little head flames flipped and cartwheeled down and ate the dirt right up. Done! Their home was ready for visitors later. And since Bodhi was their cousin, they always had an after-party party at their home that everyone at the party was invited to. They went back down the hall to check on the guest bedroom. Bodhi didn't always want to stay with them after waking up, but it was important that he know that he was always welcome to. The room was bright right now with the early morning light playing hide-and-seek with the shadows. The shadows were still winning, but probably not for much longer. <clears throat> Siwimo cleared their throat to get the sunlight's attention. Would you mind showing me all of the room for a moment? I want to make sure everything is ready. Now, the sunbeams also loved Bodhi, and so they snapped right to, quickly showing off every section of the room, from the pile of river stones and a hole in the floor... Bodhi's preferred little sleep sleeping place, to the mound of dirt that took up one whole third of the room. The moss was just yawning awake as the sunbeams danced over them. <sighs> the sunbeams were rarely so cooperative for Siwamo. The beams liked to play tricks on them. Maybe on a different day it would have made Siwamo grumpy. As a little, easy, little demon, it was kind of easy to make them angry. But not today. Hooroo, hooray, it's Imbolg Day. Siwamo almost missed it, but the sunbeams didn't. They moved back to a spot in the upper right corner and pointed down into a little divot in the dirt. Siwamo leaned over to have a look, their flames leaning over even farther. Tickle grass, they exclaimed. Siwamo's fists went to their hips. I'll give you to the count of three to get back in the tickle corner or you can go outside. They scolded the tickle grass. You know how grumpy Bodhi is when first waking up. He doesn't like the tickling until full spring. So out with you, out. The tickling grass slunk down and for a moment, Siwamo thought they were going to try and duck and hide in the dirt. But they liked Bodhi too, which was of course why they were trying to sneak into his other favorite little sleep bed. So after conferring with all the rest of itself, the tickle grass slunk and pouted their way over to the tickle corner on the far side of the room. The bigger grass grabbed the little grass as it got close enough and rooted it down with the rest of the family. Siwamo wouldn't be at all surprised if the grass got a scolding from this. But with that done, the room was perfect. Everything ready. Time to put on some layers and brave the outside. Siwamo stood before their front door. It was wooden with beautiful colored glass in the shape of their favorite flower, a tiger lily. The wood was extra sturdy and resisted even their flames, which was good. Wood was far warmer than stone, and they appreciated all of the warmth possible in the winter. It was a gift from Bodhi. He wouldn't tell them where the wood came from, and it didn't matter. He was their best friend and their best cousin, and they hadn't seen him for moons. For him... They'd go out in the cold. One more big breath, and they did it. They opened the door to outside. Cold air blew in and played with the flames on their head. The flames meeped and shrunk down. 
Asian fire demons did not like the snow or cold or ice, but they had their thickest boots on and it was Imbolg. Hooroo, hooray. And with that, they strode outside boldly and fiercely. It was time. As they reached the trees, the wood pixies joined them, a whole flock of wood pixies. Their spindly limbs were covered with lichens and mosses to keep warm, except where they'd eaten pieces of the green and gray stuff off, of course. Little brave flames jumped off Siwamo's head, lighting up the path behind them. The flames hovered over the snow, shivering in the cold, but staying bright regardless and showing the way back. The sunbeams were lighting the way forward. And Fifa fluttered overhead, refusing to touch the ground. She'd come all the way from the elongated mountains for this. In fact, most of their cousins were there. The other fire demons lit up the pass to the center glade of the forest with their own head flames. Shum was meandering up from the lake on the right, along with the other water goblins. The chipmunks and wrens, deer and dryads, wolves and hobs all meandered the paths towards the center. They called out to each other great shouts and quiet whispers of welcome, each to the way they liked to say it. There were no fights on Imbolg Day. Everyone made the effort to get along. Siwamo delighted in seeing all of their friends and kin and enemies gathered the way it should be. Hmm, was that a star fairy hanging out on the pine branch with a wood pixie? How strange, they thought. And then the thought was gone because... They were here. The birch trees and the oak trees and the fire and pine trees all pulled back to make space for all those who gathered. The crowd was large, but that was to be expected on Imbolg Day. The ewes, some pregnant, some already with their lambs, were up near the center. The pixies were even now just finishing collecting the milk the ewes generously shared with everyone. There would be milk for their celebration, and plenty for all by the looks of the pails and cups that were already full and being handed out. It was going to be a good year. At last, Siwamo came to the center. Everyone left the prime place for them because they knew that Siwamo and Bodhi were the best of friends. And who else would you want to see when you wake up than the one you love most? Bodhi was curled deep into the ground, just a big lumpy boulder, mostly gray with bits of brown and black threading through his stony self. This was his big sleep. Every year he fell into it, sometime after Samhain, but before Yule came. That's when everyone in Sneaky Hollow knew that winter was fully there. Today, though, today was when they would find out if spring was ready to start sneaking back into the world. If Bodhi woke up and stayed awake, then they would all know spring was ready. Mm, but if he went back to sleep, though, it would be more winter for a while longer. Siwamo always hoped Bodhi would wake up early, but they didn't push Bodhi. He got really grumpy when pushed, and it wasn't right. Everyone needs to sleep the amount they need to sleep. A slight rumble shifted the dirt under everyone. They hushed. The centers hushed, and even the magpies managed to be quiet. In the stillness of brown and pine green and snow white, they waited. Another rumble and a grumble. Siwamo's flame shot high in excitement and then clustered down low, still feeling cold, and muttered to themselves. 
Shush, Siwamo muttered, bouncing on their feet. The snowdrops that had grown up around Bodhi were dancing with excitement. Everyone could feel it spring stirring. One lumbering, rocky arm reached up out of the dirt, scratching roughly at a pile of moss, twigs, and old leaves on the back of the boulder. A wood pixie leapt up and took care of that quickly, munching it all down. Oh, it was the pixie who was with the star fairy. And that star fairy noticed Siwamo noticing her and smiled shyly before ducking her head and blowing out a glowing orb from her nose. The fairy flew up with the orb and tucked it into the trees overhead. And that's when Siwamo noticed all of the other glowing orbs and lights in the trees around them. How had they missed seeing how proud the trees were of their decorations, showing their lights off to each other while the waiting grew tense? But you can't hurry, Bodhi, and you can't hurry, Spring. Siwamo was tempted to sit down while they waited, but no, still too cold not as cold as it had been. Their feet were warm in their snug boots, even if the laces were being silly and tying themselves into stranger and more complicated knots while they waited. A big moan and groan and boom shook the whole forest. Bodhi was up. He shifted Mm, he stretched. Oh, he reached his arms up and his legs down until he had both arms and legs again and wasn't just one big round rock. The snowdrops cheered. All the creatures on four legs bugled their joy. All the flying creatures danced and soared through the sky around Bodhi above everyone's head. Colored feathers of green and yellow and blue and red flitted down in celebration. The whole gathering whooped and hollered and yawped and laughed. And Siwama waited, quiet. Hmm, Bodhi finished the big stretch after his big sleep. It was the best way out of the deep sleep. He was sleepy still. Slow. He would be very slow for a while yet. But as his eyes started to crack open and his ears started to get to the surface, he realized that everyone was there, happy and celebrating. There would be more celebrating, he knew, all through the night, even when he got, even when he would go back into a little sleep, they would celebrate. They made his heart so big it felt like it would burst, and there, right in front of him, smothered in layers from the cold, little flames huddling together on their head, eyes twinkling wonderfully at him was his best friend Siwamo. He smiled and saw the best thing he could imagine. Siwamo smiled right back. The end. And welcome back to episode 41 of Pennies in the Well. I hope you enjoyed that little Imbolg tale from Sneaky Hollow. That, for your reference, is brought to you by Violet, the very sneaky, I'm most sneaky fairy. Now, let's get into something a little bit more practical magic-y, a little bit more witchy, perhaps. 
And if you want to see kind of a visual representation of what I'm about to talk about, go check out my YouTube channel. It's called A Witch's Perspective. I'll put the link for this particular related video in the show notes. And in it, it's a, a short little bit, but you can actually see what I'm going to be talking about here. And because it's a little hard sometimes to try and to describe things when I can show you things. And essentially, what it is that I'm going to talk about is my personal way of doing a personal, a magical, a contemplative reflection on my day that's very simple, it's very fast and evocative, and that helps me to really comprehend, on a, in a sense, on a visceral level, what it is that I'm doing with my days, therefore my life, where I'm spending my life energy, uh, and I'm, am I doing what I consider important? Am I doing the things that I think are critical to my life or that I have ranked as being the things that I should be doing? So to start with, how, how I'd got this all going was that I sat down and I went, okay, I need to figure out what is important in my life because, oh my God, so many different things to do, so many things to spend energy on, so little energy to spend. And thus, I needed to actually have a good, strong look at what's important. Where do I actually want to put my life energy? What is going to be the things that I consider truly important? I need to think about this. It can't be something that just kind of rolls out on a day-to-day -day basis because if you never put that planning in, you will simply react to every day and never act, never making sure that you do what you consider critically important or emotionally important or simply self-satisfyingly important. And so I went through and because I like to do a lot of things, it took me a while to get it down to 13. Yep, that's right, 13 different things. And this is not to say that these are 13 things I try and do every day. I'd say probably about five to eight of them are things that I really do. I really try at least every day to do a little bit with. But some of the things don't happen maybe for a couple of months, but there's still, if I have that extra time and that ener extra energy, if I put it into doing something in this, so to speak, list, then I will feel more satisfied. So to give you some examples of what made my list, I have cleaning. Yep. Cleaning is right up in that top five because I know that if my home is clean, then I will be more emotionally uh, grounded. I will be generally happier. I have said in the past, I'm sure I will say it again in the future, that my home is a reflection of my state of mind. So if my home is messy and dirty, then I will be miserable. Now, cause effect, it goes both ways. If I'm already in a miserable state, my home will go to hell because I don't have the energy, inclination, or desire to do anything to fix it or to keep it clean because as we all know, houses like to be dirty. Things like to get messy. Life is messy. You know, you do the dishes, 10 seconds later, you decided you needed a little snack because you just finished cleaning and sure enough, now you have a dirty dish again. You're wearing clothes probably and you're probably, you know, they'll come off, they'll need washing. You know, there's animals in the house, those, those, those creatures we eat, we eliminate, um, mess happens. It's just the way of it. And if 
my house is messy. Even if I started in a good mood, if my mouse is my my mouse, my house is messy, it will take me down the bad path. I will end up not happy. I will start feeling tense and irritated and just not good. And suddenly my ability to get things done will actually drop because of the state of my house. So cleaning is actually in like my top five of things that need to get done pretty much on a daily basis because secondary to that is I am one lazy motherfucker. So if I clean a little bit every day, then I have to do less effort. Like, you know, you, you finish with a bowl, rinse it right away and cleaning it, you know, you can throw it in the dishwasher. It's good. You leave that bowl and the stuff cakes on and now even the dishwasher won't take care of it and you have to hand wash it again yourself. Oh, way too much work. So I'm all about minimizing my work, which means, yes, I'm an efficient person. I'm efficient because I like to be lazy and I like to spend my time not cleaning. I do the cleaning because of the necessary outcomes from it, but, and actually not a but, but an and, and I have gotten to a place where I enjoy the cleaning because of the energy I can put into it. As you know, from my previous talks on magical cleaning and how you can actually imbue some really awesome stuff into the cleaning that you do. So that's one example. Uh, food. I have interesting relationships to food and have for a very long time. So food and how I relate to it. Am I eating you know, food that I want to eat. Did I cook it myself? Uh, was it something really tasty? So intriguingly, it doesn't have to be that I meet a particular metric in regards to the food. It's actually more for me a way to track what my relationship with food was on that day. Was it a healthy relationship? Did I enjoy it? What kind of experience did I have with food? So these markers that I use, and I'll tell you in a minute how I use them, the area that they describe is not a small, thin little slice of a topic. It is a broad topic. For instance, one of the things that I don't necessarily do every day, but that I do consider very um, important in my overall well-being is music. And it could be playing music, it could be listening to music, it could be singing, it could be drumming, it could be being at an event and taking part where there was stuff going on. It's very open to my interpretation of whether I felt satisfied in this particular arena of my life that day. Uh, what other examples would you like to know? So there's one for movement because movement I've, is very important to me. And did I move today? And did I interact with my body in a healthy way? So I encapsulate it as being movement. I have um, ritual, ritual, spell work, whatever you want to call it. The magical path is on my 13 items as well. Relationships that I have are on that 13. There are days I'm a hermit and that relationship marker doesn't do anything. And that's perfectly acceptable. But I have it there because relationships ultimately are important to me and something that I do want to invest my time and life energy into. So all of these things are the things that I went, you know what, this is important to me. And it also allowed me to go, if it didn't make the 13, and 13 is a fairly large number. Uh, and some of these categories are broad. Like one of them, which doesn't happen all that often, is crafting. And I don't mean witchcrafting. I mean like uh, hand crafting. So playing with Fimo or making candles or uh, what's else kicking around? If I made a drum, that would fall into crafting. So anything I'm making physically with my hands would count. Now, some of these categories 
as you may already have clued, crossover. So if I was making a drum, odds are very high that I am doing magical work in addition to the hand crafting work. Awesome. There's no reason that I can't satisfy more than one category with a single action. There's some really grand happiness with that. That means that I'm putting into one moment multiple joys. How could that possibly be a bad thing? In fact, it's a freaking wonderful thing and something I would strongly encourage. So I have these 13 things. Now, the way that I've set it up is on my vanity, on the center of my vanity is a nice little marble square, very nice and convenient. And I have 13 items that represent these 13 topics for me. Like um, for the magical work, I have a pendulum. And for movement, I have a, a glass frog. And some of the things are very magically and intrinsically linked to the topic at hand. Not all of them. Some of them were, I just need a marker that I'm actually going to remember what the heck that relates to. And look, that'll work. And it's the right size. So there we go. It's done. It fits. Because... I have to admit, in this case, size matters. I did it when I originally started. There was a couple of things in there that magically made a lot of sense, but physically they were way too big compared to the rest of the items and it, it just didn't flow. So what I do is I have them lined up along the back of my square. And when it gets to the end of the night and I'm you know, closing down everything and I'm in my bedroom and I'm ready to, to hit the bed, I sit down or I stand, you know, because sometimes you're just being really fast about this kind of thing. And I look at that row and I start from my left, which is the ones that are more critical that I really want to make sure I do on a daily basis uh, and work my way to the right, which on the most right hand side, you may guess it, is my handcrafting one. Because if I don't get to that, you know, like even like every other month, sad, but kind of okay. So I start on the left and I grab that item and I have a, I'm very fast at it now because I've been doing it for months, a very quick assessment, but, but still kind of strong. And, and sometimes this goes longer. If I have more time and energy, then this is a longer process. But I, I pick it up and I, I look at my cleaning stone and go, okay, how do I feel about how I did with cleaning today? And how I feel is a much more interesting question then what did I accomplish or how much? This is not a how much kind of metric. This is a how satisfied am I with it metric. Tied underneath of that is of course one of the factors being how much did I actually do, but I don't have a quota. There's no quota on any of this. This is a an emotional, spiritual, soulful, introspective moment to go, how do I feel about me in relationship to cleaning today? And there are days, you know, the days that are exhausting and nasty and horrible and you barely drag yourself through it. Well, if I had one of those days and I managed to do a load of dishes or to put away all the stuff in the living room so that I wouldn't have to look at the crap at it one more time, I got full marks. I did not have to clean my house top to bottom. I got full marks for feeling completely satisfied with how I managed to get cleaning into my day and that it was a really healthy and good amount. And then I go to the next thing and I don't quite remember what it is, but let's say it's healing. So with healing, 
It might be healing for myself. It might be me healing other people. Did I heal today? And do I feel good about it? How do I feel about it? So the first, did I do this at all question is kind of a nice little, you know, check in and marker do what did I do today? How did I spend my time? Because just having that question answered can be pretty, pretty darn interesting and sometimes entertaining. And to go, okay, I did this. What did, did I do healing? Yeah. Okay. How do I feel about it? Did I feel like I did an amount that makes me really satisfied with the idea of healing today? Did I really fulfill that part of my nature today? Especially when I factor in what the day was like. And then I move on. So when I make that decision, I have from the back of my square to the front of my square. And I move things in straight lines because it makes sense to me. So it's kind of like moving. I, my, my brain goes, it's kind of like moving the beads on an abacus, except that you're not actually adding anything up. But, you know, it's kind of an image. It kind of works. So I, I would slide it down and go, well, you know, I didn't really do much of healing, but I did teach people today and I really helped, you know, this one person was working on this problem with their hips and we really broke that through. So that was definitely healing for them and I got to provide that. So I, yeah, I did. Hey, right. I did actually provide healing today. So it's not a nothing. There's a something there and I'm totally going to, you know, respect the fact that I had that moment and respect that I healed today and move my marker. And how far I move it? is however far I feel that I want to move it today in regards to that. So there's no, there's no judgment uh, in a failed success kind of way. The, the judgment is an assessment of what I did and how do I feel about it and what is my relationship with that thing like today. But it's not a, you failed to do X, shame on you. No shame. There's zero shame in this. This is just a way to really physically touch and visually see what I did in the day and how I'm relating with the things that I consider important in my life. Rest is one of the, the markers that I work with because rest, I think, rest and reflection is critically important to all of us. If we don't get that, oh, it's crappy. It's so crappy. We feel horrible. We get caught into that cycle of being on the hamster wheel and always exhausted and can never get off. And you drink your coffee to get you going in the morning and then you run through the whole day and then you crash at night only to get up and you do it over again. I got to a point in my life having run on that hamster wheel where I fell off of the hamster wheel completely exhausted and just lay there, um, pretty hopeless and helpless for a couple of years now. And you will have noticed it because I haven't been on here podcasting for that time frame. The last couple of years have been all about rest and reflection and healing and integration so that I guess I could start on the crazy wild things that are happening now in life. And I haven't told you all of them yet and more will follow, I do believe. Shh, that's for another time. So Rest is really important to me, and I'm happy to say that generally speaking, I can almost always move that stone and go, yeah, I, I got in a nap, or I sat down and cuddled my cat, or I rested and read a couple chapters of a book, or I took up time and I meditated, or, 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 that I made space for me to rest and reflect. So I go through from left to right with each of these markers and I move them through. And oh my God, some days, especially when I get those multiples where you're doing, you know, high ritual with, excuse me, with great friends 
and great food and, 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 and those really amazing days. Oh my God. Like everything, it seems like on the board gets moved as if, and it is, it's a marker for a perfect day. And I look at it and go, my gods, look at that. I got to enjoy everything that I consider important and that brings me joy, all of it on this day. And instead of just going to bed and going, hey, you know, yeah, today was really great. I actually look through the various types of way that I experience joy and reflect on them, even if just quickly for that day and remark on it and get it to sink in a little bit and process it into me and not just keep doing, but actually reflecting and getting that kind of into me. So I go through and I do all of them and yes, there we go. And then the next day when I get up, I get to look again and go, okay, so what was yesterday like? (laughs) Cause I don't always have the best of memory and yesterday was so long ago. So I get to look at the, at the various pieces and go, huh? What? Why is the movement one so far to the end? Oh, that's right. Yesterday I got to go dancing out at, you know, Belly Dance Studio. Oh, that's right. Which is also why the music one shifted because I got to learn drumming, which is amazing. And of course, I got to connect with people. So that's why that one's moved. And I get to remember the day before in a positive way. So, and and I consider that just a really great gift to be able to give myself is that extra little integration. And in a little way, it probably kickstarts me into what do I want to do on that day? Because here's what I've also noticed, that there's some that like rest or looking after my pets or cleaning when I go a couple of days without one of those markers moving much, I really start to notice like, seriously, this is like day five in a row that I feel like I can't say that I contributed much to that aspect of my life. Really? Well, that can't be good, especially if it's in kind of that first, realistically, it's in like the first eight. Those first eight are kind of critical. Really? I haven't moved. I haven't moved in five days. Really? I don't know why I'm saying five days, but that kind of sense of it's been more than a day or two and I haven't done this thing. Then comes the evaluation. Well, is this thing then actually important to me? If I'm not doing it, there's something stopping me. So either it's not very important to me or I got some other issues going on that I need to resolve and actually get into loving this thing that I purport to love, that I think is important to me. So it's another way to kind of have a, again, visceral, because you get to interact physically with it, sense of where I'm spending my time and energy. And that's pretty darn cool. I think in essence, that sums up what I'm doing with it. Uh, yeah, because you set it out and you move them and you move it back. And, and really, it's very simple. You could do this with, you know, magnets on a fridge would be really an easy way to do it. You could have just a whole bunch of little stones that you use as markers. You could have slips of paper. Really, it's whatever happens to to make you happy and to suit your worldview and your environment. You may have, you know, five things and that's it. And those are the five critical things that you must do and how well do you feel about it. 
what I found was every once in a while, some days I want to be hypercritical. Like, yeah, yeah, you did the thing, but you didn't do as much as you could have. And then I stop and go, wait, wait. It's not about how much I could have. It's about what I actually did. And is what I actually did a significant amount given the context? And I move from there. So this is, I have no name for this. I don't know what to call it, but it is a very, for me, very personally useful and powerful way to reflect on and integrate every day of my life with relatively minimal effort and a nice connective ritualistic quality to it. So I hope that you have enjoyed this particular view into my personal magic. And if you want to go have a look-see at what it looks like in person, like I said, I'll put the link in the show notes, or you can just look up my YouTube channel. It's uh, called A Witch's Perspective, because that's what it is. It's my perspective as a witch on various and assorted topics. There's not currently much up there at the moment of me talking into this microphone right now. But I suspect that things will change because I have had plenty of ideas and plenty of intentions, but only now am I getting to a place where I actually have the energy to invest into making these thoughts shareable with the world. So this thought is now shared. I hope you enjoyed. And it's time for another weird mini sound break before heading into the final part of this podcast, which will be reading the next part of The Wake World by Aleister Crowley. One moment, please. The Wake World, Part 3 You mustn't suppose the honeymoon is ever really over, because it just isn't. But he said to me, Princess... You haven't been all over the palace yet. Your special house is the third, you know, because it's so convenient for the second, where I usually live. The king, my father, lives in the first. He's never to be seen, you know. He's very, very old nowadays. I am practically regent, of course. You must never forget that I am really he, only one generation back is not so far. And I entirely represent his thought. Soon he whispered ever so softly. You will be a mother. There will be a fairy prince again to run away with another pretty little sleepyhead. And then I saw that when fairy princess, princes were really and truly married, they became fairy kings, and that I was quite wrong ever to be ashamed of being only a little girl and afraid of spoiling his prospects, because really, you see, he could never become king and have a son, a fairy prince, without me. But only... But one can only do that by getting to the third house, and it's a dreadful journey, I do most honestly assure you. There are two passages, one from the eighth house and one from the sixth. The first is all water, and the second is almost worse, because you have to balance yourself so carefully, or you fall and hurt yourself. To go through the first, you must be painted all over with blood up to your waist and cross your legs and then put a rope around one ankle and swing you off. 
I had such a pretty white petticoat on, and my prince said I looked just like a white pyramid with a huge red cross on the top of it, which made me ever so glad because now I knew I should be the savior of the world, which is what one wants to be, isn't it? Only sometimes the world means all the other children in the dream, and sometimes the dream itself, and sometimes the wake things one sees before one is quite, quite awake. The prince tells me that really and truly only the first house where his father lives was really a wake house. All the others had a little sleep about them, and the further you got, the more awake you were, and began to know just how much was dream and how much wake. Then there was the other passage, where there was a narrow ledge of green crystal, which was all you had to walk on. And there was a beautiful blue feather balancing on the edge. And if you disturbed the feather, there was a lady with a sword, and she would cut off your head. So I didn't dare hardly to breathe. And all around there were thousands and thousands of beautiful people in green who danced and danced like anything. And at the end, there was a terrible door of the fifth house, which is the royal armory. And when we came in the house was full of steel machinery, some red hot and some white hot, and the din was simply fearful. So, to get the noise out of my head, I took the whip and whipped myself till all my blood poured down over everything, and I saw the whole house as a cataract of foaming blood rushing headlong from the flaming and scintillating star of fire that blazed and blazed in the candescent dome, and everything went red before my eyes, and a great flame like a strong wind blew through the house with a noise louder than any thunder could possibly be, so that I couldn't hold myself hardly, and I took up the the sharp knives of the machines and cut myself all over and the noise got louder and louder and the flame burnt through me and through me so that when so that I when my prince said you wouldn't think it would you sweetheart but there are lots of people who stay here all their lives hmm well there are three ways into the fourth house from below the first passage is a very curious place all full of wheels and ever such strange creatures, like monkeys and sphinxes and jackals climbing about them and trying to get to the top. It was very silly because there isn't really any top to a wheel at all. The place you want to get to is the center if you want to be quiet. And then there was a really lovely passage, like a deep wood in springtime. The dearest old man came along who had lived there all his life because he was the guardian of it, and he didn't need to travel because he belonged to the first house, really, from the very beginning. He wore a vast cloak, and he carried a lamp and a long stick, and he said that the cloak meant you were to be silent and not say anything you saw, and the lamp meant you were to tell everybody and make them glad, and the stick was like a guide to tell you which to do but I didn't quite believe that because I'm getting a grown-up girl now and I wasn't to be put off like that. I could see that the stick was really the measuring rod with which the whole palace was built and the lamp was the only light they had to build it by and the cloak was the abyss of darkness that covers it all up. That is why dream people never see beautiful things like I'm telling you about. All their houses are built of common red bricks, and they sit in them all day and play silly games with counters, and, oh, dear me, how they do chat and quarrel. 
When any one gets a million counters, he is so glad you can't think and goes away and tries to change some of the counters for things he really wants, and he can't. So you nearly die of laughing, though of course it would be really sad if it were wake life. But I was telling you about the ways to the fourth house. And the third way is full of lions. And a person might be afraid, only whenever one comes to bite at you, there's a lovely lady who puts her hands in its mouth and shuts it. So we went through quite safely, and I thought of Daniel in the lion's den. Oh, the fourth house is the most wonderful of all I had ever seen. It is the most heavenly blue mansion. It is built of beryl and amethyst and lapis lazuli and turquoise and sapphire. The center of the floor is a pool of purest aquamarine, and in its water only you can see every drop as a separate crystal and the blue tinge filtering through the light. Above there hangs a calm yet mighty globe of deep sapphirin blue. Around it, there were nine mirrors, and there is a noise that means when you understand it, joy, joy, joy. There are violet flames darting through the air, each one a little sob of happy love. One began to see what the dream world was really for at last. Every time anyone kissed anyone for real love, that was a little throb of violet flame in this beautiful house in the wake world. And we bathed and swam in the pool, and were so happy you can't think. But they said, little girl, you must pay for the entertainment. I forgot to tell you, there was music like fountains make as they rise and fall, only of course much more wonderful than that. So I asked what I must pay, and they said, you are now mistress of all these houses from the fourth to the ninth. You have managed the servants' hall well enough since your marriage. Now you must manage the others, because till you do, you can never go on to the third house. So I said, It seems to me that they are all in perfectly good order, but they took me up in the air, and then I saw that the outsides were horribly disfigured with great advertisements, and every single house had written all over it, First house, this is His Majesty's favorite residence. No other genuine. Beware of worthless imitations. Come in here and spend life. Come in here and see the serpent eat his tail. So I was furious, as you may imagine, and had men go and put all the proper numbers on them, and a little sarcastic remark to make them ashamed. So they read, Fifth house, and mostly dream at that. Seventh house, external splendor and internal corruption, and, and so on. And on each one I put, no thoroughfare from here to the first house. The only way is out of doors, by order. This was frightfully annoying, because in the old days we could walk about inside everywhere and not get wet if it rained, but nowadays there isn't any way from the fourth to the third house. You could have go, of course, by chariot from the fifth to the third or go through the house where the twins live from the sixth to the third, but that isn't allowed unless you have been to the fourth house too and go from there at the same time. It was here that they told me what T-A-R-O on the ring meant. First, it means gate, and it is the name of my fairy prince when you spell it in full, letter by letter. There are 78 parts to it, which makes a perfect plan of the whole palace so you can always find your way if you remember to say tarot. 
Then you remember INRI is short for LVX, which means the brilliance of the wide wake light. And that too is the name of my fairy prince, only spelt short. The Romans said it had 65 parts, which is 5 times 13, and 78 is 6 times 13. To get into the wake world, you must know your 13 times table quite well. So if you take them both together, that makes 11 times 13, and then you say, Abrahadabra, which is a most mysterious word, because it has 11 letters in it. You remember the houses are numbered both ways, so that the third house is called the eighth house, eighth house two, and the fifth, the sixth, and so on. But you can't tell what lovely things that means till you've been through them all and get to the very end. So when you look at the ring and see INRI and TARO on it, it means that it is like a policeman keeping on saying, Pass along, please! I would have liked to stay in the fourth house all my life, but again, but I began to see it was just a little dream house too, and I couldn't rest, because my own house was the very next one. But it's too awful to tell you how to get there. You want the most fearful lot of courage, and there's nobody to help you, nobody at all, and there's no proper passage." but it's frightfully exciting, and you must wait till next time before I tell you how I started on that horrible journey and if I ever got there or not. Explicit Capitulum Tertium Vel Decoro Interno